A star explodes with light, traveling the night sky with news. Shepherds quake, the wise awake, and the revealed is among the few. The stable straw seems surreal, and the heavens open with glorious song. Eden now renovated by love, elated with the answer waited for, for so long. It came upon a midnight clear when our darkest hour and greatest fear chose to surrender to divinity near. He chose to come upon a midnight clear. My friend Keith Deal put his poetic touch on what happened long ago that changed everything. Luke punches into the darkness of history with his own story. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. The certainty, the certainty of the things we have been taught. Some nights, some nights of the long journey, they camped, they ate dried fruit, they talked about the angel and what he had said. Their fire illuminated faces were symbolic of the heart fire they felt. They were telling the story of a gift that they did not yet understand. The baby was to be great and would be called the son of the most high. He was a king with a kingdom that would never end. His name they already knew, Jesus. One of the most famous paintings that Leonardo da Vinci ever put to canvas, we all know as the Mona Lisa. It sits in the Louvre in Paris. I've been there and, and I told you that when I was there, I turned around and I, I wanted to see what does Mona Lisa see all day long as everyone looks at her and when you look at what she sees, she sees Jesus. Jesus right in front of her at the wedding of Cana. Jesus in a crown of thorns. Jesus with his mother. She just sees Jesus all the time. And he painted a picture of Jesus that is very well known, yet obscured over the years and obscured by many of his other works. It's called Salvatore Mundi. Salvatore Mundi, Savior of the World. And in 2017, Salvatore Mundi was sold at a private auction for $450.3 million 
dollars, 450 million plus throw in another 300. How did they come up with the other 300,000? 450? Nope, it's got to be another 300,000. What's in your wallet? You know, who, has, who has that kind of cash to just buy a, pay, a painting with? So this prince buys this painting for $450.3 million, and it was supposedly going to the Louvre Abu Dhabi, but recent reports, and it's only been two years, right? But recent reports have it in storage on a yacht or somewhere in Switzerland. It's in storage. It's worth $450.3 million. It's in storage. Hello, Ocean Storage. Yes, Laskin Road. Yes, uh, I, got, I just have this painting. I just need a small space. Do you have anything that I can put a $450.3 million painting in and just keep it safe? Are you kidding me? People have not understood Salvatore Mundi, the savior of the world, for many years. He's risen to the heights of theological study. He's defied the philosophical pundits. He, is, he has taken the criticism of many across the centuries. And yet today, this morning, I want you to understand Salvatore Mundi, the savior of the world, by answering some questions. Over the years, I've asked you many questions at Christmas time. And many of my Christmas Eve services have been built around questions. Who is this baby? What changes now that he's come? What am I supposed to do with Christmas? Do you live in the wonder of Bethlehem? Are you living the Bethlehem shift? Did you make the right decision from Bethlehem? And then last year on Christmas Eve, I gave you my three behold questions. What can I know? This is the what is truth question. What ought I to do? This is the how do I change the world question. What may I hope for. This is the where am I going question. And so I have three final questions this morning to help us know and understand who we are and who he is. First question. What is your level of passion? What is your level of passion for Bethlehem, for this baby, for the savior of the world? Many of you know, I've shared this with you, that I've been on a passionate quest for many years to find the best bolognese sauce in the world. I love bolognese sauce, and it has little different nuances to it wherever you go, and, and I, I'm still, I've gotten close. I think I've gotten very, very close, um, but I'm still going to continue that sort of like a Don Quixote thing for me. But what you don't know about me is that I have also been on a quest for the best red licorice in the world. It's been a quest that I've been on since I was about 
five when I would go to the candy store down the street, North 8th Street, Prospect Park, New Jersey, and there was a little candy store. You can go in there with just, just a couple of pennies and get whatever you wanted from the candy case. And so, you know, I've done the Twizzlers thing and all that, all that kind of stuff. But, but I found it. I found the best red licorice in the world. It's made in Denmark. And here it is, Lockridge by Bulow. It is, is far and away, it is the, the caviar of red licorice. It is the, the piece, there is resistance of red licorice. It is just phenomenal. And, and when you put it in your mouth, you sort of go into this ecstatic state for just a few moments. It has the right texture, the right chewability. I'm probably a little bit crazy, right? <laughs> but, but here's what's very, very exciting about Lockridge Buell. And you can only get it, you can only get it from Europe. They have to ship it to you. I have six jars in my office. You are not getting it for Christmas. No one is getting it. It's all hidden away. It's all mine. But let me tell you the Lackridge by Bulow mission statement, because this is where reality hits hard. Lackridge by Bulow is the story of passionate craftsmanship for gourmet licorice. In 2007, we created exceptional Danish licorice, and today we continue our journey of creating surprising combinations and sensorial taste experience with licorice at our core. The ambition has remained the same, to inspire people around the world and spread our love for this unique Nordic flavor. Johan Bulow. I want to hug Yolam, Johan Bulow. I want to kiss him. Who is this man? He is a man of passion and nothing of any substance ever happens without passion being at the root of it. Passion. What are you passionate about? What is your level of passion for the Savior of the world? for God and what God's doing, for Christ and his work in you, for the Holy Spirit and his leading in your life. Over 26 years ago, my passion began when God said, Michael, do what's on your heart. Do what's on your heart. And I was passionate. I'd been passionate for some years before this to see a community of men and women who would love God with all their heart, soul, mind, strength, and resources who would rise up to greatness and change the world because they would be normal, they would be real, they would be down the earth, they would be down to earth, they would be bringing faith and life together each and every day. And that passion drove me and it drove Gail and I into Spring Branch Community Church. I remember saying to her one day, what do you think about the name Spring Branch? And she said, yeah, that's it. I like, I like that. And nothing happens without this passion. And so this has been a, a 26 and a half year passionate journey to see Spring Branch be everything that God has wanted, to, wanted it to be. And it's going to continue to be everything that God wants it to be. And I'm still passionate about it too, with you. But God has also birthed another passion within me over the last few years. And that's a passion for people. I never expected this. I never expected this. But this growing 
compassion for people who are poor and living on the outskirts of having nothing in West Africa. So when I go to Togo and I see the people who need water, the children who need water, the children who need medicine, the children who need education, and, and they don't have access to these things. I look at where we are and who we are, and everything that God's given us, and I say, God, are you compelling me to go? Are you compelling me to do this too? And God says, yes, Michael, I am compelling you. I am calling you to do this too. And so we've gone to Togo. We've gone as a church now for 10 years. We're doing another big water project right now called Big Water 2. And we're going to continue to do this together. It's going to be a passion that we live together and breathe together as we move ahead together. And I will be the executive director of Togo Network as I, as I leave here today. But there's another passion that was a part of Spring Branch. It was right there from the beginning. It was the passion that my wife Gail had for the arts and for using light and color to evoke feeling, to bring faith and life together on the stage, to, to light the dramas and to light the music and to light the Christmas Eves and to light the, the Easter's and to allow you to, to enter a place where you could be lifted up by what God could do. He was the creator of the universe. He uses colors and movement and feeling all the time as we look around in nature, as we look around at the stars. And this was a way that God gave her to give that gift that God has, that artistic gift that God has back to you because of her passion. She gave that. Mary and Joseph were passionate about what God gave them to do because nothing happens without passion. What is your level of passion? Second question, what is your level of resilience? Admiral Stavridis writes in his book, Sailing True North, clearly a central element of character, perhaps the most important one of all, is resilience. It is a force that can be shaped by the company you keep, the books you read, and a refusal to stop trying. All of us fail, but we are so often given choices about how to respond. Be resilient. Be resilient. Resilience always changes the game. Let me tell you a little story about resilience that happened to me during Thanksgiving. For Thanksgiving, we went to New York City to be with our daughter, Ashley. And we hadn't done that in a long, long time to be with her for Thanksgiving. And so on Thanksgiving morning, she says, Dad, you're coming with me to the gym, aren't you? I had not really thought about that. I'd been thinking about turkey and stuffing and gravy and mashed potatoes, all this. You're going to the gym with me, aren't you? And so usually it's on Thursdays here, I go to the gym. Thursday morning, I'm in New York, so I say, okay, I'll go to the gym with you. And so I went to the Equinox gym in lower Manhattan, right on the Hudson River, had these beautiful views of the New Jersey skyline across the Hudson, beautiful views of the water, uh, and then there was this one view that kind of got me, that's Ellis Island. That's where my family came through about 
1893 from Italy. But then let me give you one more view, this view. I got on the treadmill, and on the, on the treadmill, uh, every one of those treadmills had these words on it, and the words, you know, no pun intended, kind of stopped me in my tracks. And here are the words, and they're all about resilience, all of them. Live better, strive harder, be bolder, dance longer. I hope my wife doesn't hear that one because at a wedding where always, she's trying to get me to dance longer. Explore further, question deeper, dream bigger, climb higher, seek greater. I'm on a treadmill. And then it said at the bottom, at the bottom it says, it's not fitness, it's life. Here's the resilient part. Now let's put a little twist on it. It's not church, it's life. Explore further, question deeper, dream bigger, climb higher, seek greater. Mary and Joseph, they were resilient. Look at what gets put upon them. Nothing that they ever expected. They were resilient. Joseph was resilient. Mary, in her innocence, let it be to me as you have said. Let it be to me as the Lord wants it to be in my life. They were resilient. And as you look across Scripture, all you see are stories of resilience. Moses was resilient. Nehemiah was resilient. Ruth was resilient. Deborah was resilient. Paul was resilient. John was resilient. You see, each and every man or woman in these stories faced a point in their life where maybe they could have let life knock them down. But they let life knock them to their knees and they were resilient and they got up to do what God called them to do. They were at times sad and mad and confused. You look at Elijah in, in 1 Kings 19, he's, he's sad and mad and confused, all wrapped up in a big ball of I can't figure anything out anymore and I quit and I want to get out of this. And, and God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah's like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and God says, you just pay attention, I'm going to show up. And then God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's a question he asks each and every one of us all the time. What are you doing here? What are you doing? I need you to be resilient. I need you to, to get back up. We have places to go. We have things to do. What is your level of resilience? No matter what has happened to you, no matter what is about to happen to you, no matter what will happen to you, your resilience will carry you into the will of God for your life. There's a third question. What's your level of passion? What's your level of resilience? What is the gift? What is the gift? So much of Christmas is taken up with gifts, buying gifts, wrapping gifts, thinking about gifts that you want, thinking about gifts that you want to, to give away, getting really excited when you know you have a, a gift that somebody's really going to, to just, just be elated about. You're like, I have that gift that's going to make them smile and they're going to be so happy. What is the gift? 
Now, my first choice every morning for coffee is a little place called Perked Up, Perked Up Down at the Beach. A guy named Andy runs it, and Alice is in the back cooking up a storm. And, and the coffee is, is amazing and great. And, uh, and Andy gave me a gift this morning. He said, it's on me. It's on me. Uh, and, uh, and so I love going to Perked Up. And that's where actually my new office will be there, Perked Up. If you, if you want to see me in the morning, I'll be there. Uh, but sometimes in the afternoon, sometimes in the afternoon, I just need a little shot of coffee to keep me going. And I found out that Wawa gives gifts of coffee every single day. They give gifts of coffee every single day. They have these little cups back by the, the row of coffees. They have a myriad of coffees to be selected, uh, international coffees. I was hooked on an Ethiopian coffee, and they have Cuban coffee. And they have, oh, so you get this little cup. You have any coffee you want, and it's free. So I go in there, I get my free coffee, and I just walk out. See you later. Boom. <laughs> It's great. It's a free gift, okay? So, so yesterday, I'm in Wawa. It's in the afternoon. I said, oh, I got to get my gift from Wawa, the free coffee. I go in, but I run into Marsha at the counter. So Marsha sees me with the cup, and Marsha says this to me. Why don't you get four, and I'll give you a carry-all that you can just take four out of the store. Well, bah humbug to you, Marsha. Marsha, Marsha throws me under the coffee bus. She slams me to the mat. She goes, you like this free coffee so much, why don't you just take as much as will fill up a regular cup of coffee that you would have to pay for, <laughs> that you're not paying for, and haul it on out of here. I'm praying for Marsha. She looks so nice, but you know, she's really not. Mariah Carey wrote a, a song about a gift that's been phenomenal since it came out in 1994. All I want for Christmas is you. All I want for Christmas is you. Um, it has remained at the top of the charts and it's been a holiday favorite for 25 years. A, a 2016 Nielsen report states it was the only song to make the top five holiday songs for radio streaming and purchases across generations. In 2019, it was the first holiday song in 60 years to break the top five on the Billboard Hot 100. Learned people have said, however, that it's not a Christmas song at all, but a love song. All I want for Christmas is you. And that's, and that's where they miss the point. Mariah herself said, it's kind of amazing to me because I wrote it just out of love for Christmas. You see, Christmas at its core is all about a gift. So what's the gift? About five or six years ago, my daughter-in-law Nina wrote a reflection on 10 years of marriage to our son Travis. There's some pretty revealing thoughts in her blog, and it actually hit number five in the Billboard Hot 100 last year. Uh, but what she said as she ends her story can be translated into the meaning of this day and the meaning of 
Christmas. And here's how I read it a few years back. We got married on June 28, 2003, surrounded by hundreds of our closest friends. I will never have that many close friends again. I currently have three. There was a stretch Hummer, an original arrangement of Les Miserables finale, Puerto Rican cuisine, and almost a roasted pig. Downtown Marriott said no. Travis's dad married us in a long priestly robe, not the norm for our church tradition, but we were classing it up for this event. Read Stretch Hummer. The ceremony was beautiful, but mainly I remember this. He looked at each one of us and told us the other was our gift from God. He looked at each one of us and told us the other was our gift from God. I felt that then and believed it with my whole off-the-rack, fear-wang-clothed self, but only a fraction of how I believe it now. This I know 10 years later. I am so grateful for what's behind us and even more grateful to keep moving forward, solitary phone charger and all. 10 years. 26 years for us. 26 and a half years. So what's the gift? You are the gift. You are the gift. Look around. You are the gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The gift. But then 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ. Christmas. Christmas actually means the mission of the Christ. In other words, we are now on his mission. You are the gift. We are the gift that the world has been waiting for. People still want somebody to show up and show them the way. You are the gift. You are the light in the world. You are everything that God is calling you to be. You have an opportunity to show people the very face of Christ, what he looks like every single day. Look at each other. You're the gift. You see, my name has never been out there. There's a brick wall out there. My name has never been on it. Your name has been on it. Spring Branch Community Church. Your name is on it. And your name will always be on it. Because you are the gift. And so my Christmas gift to you, over the years, I've read you many letters that I felt God was writing, some to you, some to me. My Christmas gift to you is this letter that I wrote to you. It's so easy to live the life that tells God what you need over and against the life where you ask God what he needs. Knowing what God needs and doing it is the gift. That's what being his church is. I've learned a lot over the past 26 years with you. Here's some of what I've learned. It's all about God's timing. His timing is accurate beyond any human measurement. Trust him. 
His timing is always right. And it's right in terms of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In other words, don't put the weight of your life on your logic or how you could think it out. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It's his job to make your path straight. It's his job to give you the future. And he knows that you are the gift. He wants you to get there. Also, Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. His timing is always right. Nothing happens without a leader. Nothing. Zip. Nada. For God's work to be done, a leader has to lead people. Sounds easy. It's not. Here's why it's not. Truth without love is mean. Truth without love is mean. Love without truth is meaningless. Leaders have to live that equation in every ministry and mission all the time. Truth without love is mean. Love without truth is meaningless. Which leads to, you can't make everyone happy and everyone won't like you because expectations are capricious. Multiple agendas collide. The only expectation to live for is God's expectation of your life. Let him define your reality. Find your peace in him and him alone. Reality will be messy. So life in all arenas is messy. Family is messy. And church is messy. We need a, good, we need a few good friends so we can get through the mess together. You'll know your good friends because they're there in the mess with you. They don't run away. They don't abandon you. Great men and women are born with gifts and those gifts are developing long before they arrive at a place of service. Developing our gifts never ends. That's the resilient part over and over and over again. Women who have the leadership or teaching gift are great leaders who are gifts to the world and the church. The Bible does not stand in the way of women leading and teaching. Churches that don't allow women to lead and teach have missed a wonderful opportunity to see grace in action. The church's mission is a mission of reaching out. Sunday is a locker room from which strategies are deployed. We can't stay in the locker room, live in the locker room, insulate the locker room, and be his church. The locker room becomes a locker tomb when it becomes all about us and not about being a light in the world. Get rest, get healthy, get wisdom from God's word, then get out of storage. Get out of storage and do something. There is a quiet celebratory joy in serving the poor locally and globally. The dream never ends. The work never ceases. The vision must always shine bright. When you show up, God shows up. There's a kingdom that never ends with a king who reigns forever. Why live for anything less? Sooner or later, you will wrestle with God. Don't let go. He will give you a limp and a new name. Your limp will keep you dependent on him. 
Your new name will begin the story of the gift he is making you to the world. That's transformation. It takes a long time. When you need wisdom and perspective, get it. If you need help, say, I need help. Relationships are the hardest work there is. The Bible is a book about relationships and what it means to be struggling in relationship, what it means to get into right relationship. That's why I've always taught you about relationships and bringing faith and life together. Love wins. Love always wins. Truth without love is mean. Love without truth is meaningless. We can never hear that enough. God has called you to greatness. Create the future with courage. He is the vine, you are the branches. Keep bringing faith and life together. Reach seekers, build believers. Keep bringing faith and life together. Everyone connected in ministry and mission. Everyone looking like Jesus. It's the only way it works. I have. I will. I will never stop calling you to greatness. You are the gift. You will always be in my heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so humbled at this moment. I'm so humbled as I remember the words of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Oh, Heavenly Father, long ago a star exploded in the night. The heavens opened, the angels sang, and a wonder appeared. You, as a baby, coming into the world. Oh, holy night. Oh, holy night. Oh, Father, take us once again into that miracle, into that mystery. In the name of that baby of Bethlehem. In Jesus' name, amen.